conservative, though he liked to stop in among his foes for a friendly word when the chamber was empty. He was sharp, this fellow. He had turned out Lennox's own party's leader, William Gladstone, the year before, but since then he had very carefully won around both sides of the house by tempering his imperial ambitions for England with an unexpected social conscience. Just that evening they were going to discuss the Artisans' and Labourers' Dwellings Improvement Act, a bill that sounded as if it might have come from Gladstone himself. In fact, this was why Lennox had come to the chamber early. He had a word to get in. By the time Swick had finished speaking, ten or fifteen more men had filed into the Commons, and the serious business of the evening was near its commencement. The Speaker recognised the only man to stand after Swick, Edward Twinkleton, a Midlands glue baron. He began to address Disraeli's act. The housing of the poor was a serious issue, perhaps the one to which Lennox had in recent months devoted more time than to any other. Only that morning he had driven to the slums of Hungerford to see the problem firsthand. Despite its origin in his own conservative benches, Twinkleton stood firmly against the bill, and was now making a long-winded argument about the idle poor. When he had concluded, Lennox stood up, and, after recognition from the Speaker, began his response. The chief issue is not, as my honourable friend presumes, one of the comfort of our poorer citizens, but of their health. May I ask whether he is familiar with the usual and vile practice of the builders in these neighbourhoods? Commissioned by Her Majesty's Government to construct new edifices, they take the very fine gravel we, the taxpayers, have purchased for the construction of the foundation, and they sell it on the black market. Then they replace it with something called dry core, gentlemen, a mixture of trash, dead animals, and vegetables. It is only March, but in the summer, I am informed, the smell is beyond belief. Can we rightly call this England if Parliament gives its endorsement this evening to such practices? Lennox sat down, and thought he saw Disraeli incline his head slightly across the aisle in thanks, though perhaps not. Twinkleton rose. I commend my honourable friend's insight into the issue, and yet it cannot be lost on him that these people have always lived in the city, always in such like conditions, and that there seem to be more of them than ever. No amount of dry core reduces their number. Lennox stood to respond. The honourable gentleman from Edgbaston neglects to consider, perhaps, the historical context of our time. During the period of the honourable gentleman's childhood, as I did not receive a card from my honourable friend upon the recent occasion of my birthday, I do not see how he can be so certain of my age. This drew a laugh, but Lennox bore onward. During the period of the honourable gentleman's childhood, he said, or thereabouts, one in five Britons lived in a city. Now it is edging toward four in five, even to a very dim intellect. That must be acknowledged a change. There was laughter on Lennox's own side now, and a diffident round of hissing and cat-calling on the other, all very usual at this slight, and as Lennox sat down upon the green baize bench, smiling faintly, Twinkleton rose up, his face also traced with amusement, clearly raring for battle. Instead, the Speaker, chary perhaps of any further devolution of courtesy in the chamber, chose to call for rebuttal on Montague, a member from Liverpool. 
Twinkleton would have his chance again in a moment. In the meanwhile, Montague, who had all the charisma and verve of a dying houseplant, returned the tone of the house's discourse to its proper tedium. When Montague had been speaking for ten minutes or so, Lennox saw that a red-haired boy was approaching him, having darted down one of the aisles. This was Frabs, his clerk, a bright and attentive lad. He handed Lennox a note. "'Just came to the office, sir,' he said. "'Thank you,' said Lennox. He tore the envelope and read the short note inside. Interesting. "'Any reply, sir?' asked Frabs. "'No, but find Graham and ask him whether the vote on this bill will come in this evening, or if he thinks there will be another day of debate. You can signal me from the door. I shall keep an eye on it.' "'Yes, sir.' Graham was Lennox's political secretary, his most important ally. It was a position in most instances occupied by some ambitious son of the upper classes.